Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the film Cutthroat Island. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen without having seen it, just be aware there may be spoilers. Enjoy. Hello. Hello there. Happy St. Patrick's Day. It's been a while. Happy, it's been a minute, as it, I could say. It has been has been a little while. It has come round to St. Your Day. Yeah, it's my day. It's all about me. <laughs> How did it feel to get the snakes out of Ireland? Pretty good, actually. Yeah, it wasn't too hard. I mean, they, they slither along the ground, so all you need to do is like just give them a little, give them a little kick and a shove and off they go. Just did you? What did? What tools did you use? Did you use a little shovel or, or just no? Just boots. Just, <laughs> just these boots. boots were made for walking. And that's what about just what they'll do? What about positive reinforcement to the snakes that they'll find a really good place to live? Yeah, yeah. I, I said snakes. Listen, there's an island out there for for everyone, but this it's one called, is not it. For it's you. called Britain. <laughs> it's called Britain. Yeah, send Britain. them all over there. <laughs> I'm talking about metaphorical snakes, of course. We've got a distinct lack of snakes in Britain, really. Is that right? When you think about it, yeah. There's adders in my local park. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, yes, but that's what I mean, is the the variety. What have we got? We've got grass snakes and adders. That's literally it. We've got um, slow worms, which aren't actually snakes. No, they are They're lizards without legs. But isn't that the same thing? <laughs> we're going to have like reptile people writing into us now. We're gonna, oh, actually, I think you'll find we're going to um, we're going to get all sorts of people getting very angry with us about that. I believe that scientifically they are not. They're small. They're chill. They're sort of. Um, I think the big thing is the head difference as well. Welcome right, to Slowworm okay. Cast, everybody. <laughs> This is why you've all, all all joined us. Well, the slow worms aren't going to write in and tell us, are they? Because <laughs> they haven't got hands. So, so snakes, I think, in general, snakes have like a bigger head than the body size. Whereas slow worms, the head is the same as the body size, which I think is one of right. the okay. shows that it's a slow worm. And one of the shows that it's a, a reptile instead of a snake. Are snakes not reptiles? So they are, but reptile is a big old, a big old species type thing. I've forgotten the actual name for it. It's a whole different kettle of snakes. Snakes are a part of the reptilian species, wider species, but then slow worms aren't part of the snake category. No, no. So you're 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 affronted clearly that there are only two types of snake in, on this island. <laughs> You'd like to see well, just like cobras <laughs> slithering around everywhere. I believe go down to that, your local McDonald's. There's a big old big old python just like hanging out. That's the, that's the British. I believe that you there's want. also a rare other kind of snake, but I've forgotten the name of it. A um, Tory. Oh, politics. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. No. I want. I want giant giant snakes everywhere. You know the movie Anaconda. I want it yeah, to be yeah. like that. Giant anacondas everywhere. It's, it's taken us nearly 300 episodes to get to a mention of anaconda. Have we ever mentioned that film before? We need to talk about anaconda at some point. One of my all-time favourite films. Is it a shit piece? It is definitely a shit piece. Yeah. Um, I I don't think there is a, a finer example of an obvious shit piece than anaconda, really. I don't think I've ever seen all of it. I think I've oh, seen man. the first half on TV once, and then I've seen the second half on TV once. You know, <laughs> like it's on TV and you tune in. It's I've never seen it all together. So you 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 have seen the full one hundred percent runtime of Anaconda in different pieces. Yeah. So you've As seen you've seen Gooey Gooey John Voight, yeah. one of my all time favourite <laughs> scenes in a movie. John Voight covered in goo, nearly dead, gives a cheeky wink, and then dies. 
Perfect. Spoiler <laughs> alert for 1997's Anaconda, by the Spoiler way. Spoiler alert for John Voight's career. Oh, topical, as of several years ago. <laughs> yeah, because isn't he a big Trump lover? Isn't, isn't he dead, anyway? I don't think he's dead. I think he's still going. Um, but yeah, yeah he, what he is was, a big Trump lover. What was the last thing he was in that was any good? Okay, still alive. Well, the last thing I saw him in was the first Fantastic Beasts film when he played some kind of fascist, and that was like pretty appropriate. <laughs> oh, shall we talk about? Um, apparently, he's been cast in the next Francis Ford Coppola movie, so we'll see whether whether he's still got it. He's still got Dracula the... Two. Okay, <laughs> looking forward to that. <laughs> Cannot wait. It's called Megalopolis. That's um, a good name. I like yeah. that. Um, I have no idea. No, we're not talking about Anaconda next. I've got something I want to choose next. Okay, brilliant. Do you want to tell you now or should I tell you later? Uh, Tell me later. Um, Megalopolis, plot synopsis, an architect wants to rebuild New York City as a utopia following a devastating disaster. Also starring Adam Drive. Of course, because he's in everything. (laughs) Get you a man who can do both. Being (laughs) being an architect and shoot a dinosaur in the face. Uh, our guys from from the corpse movie. What's it called? My best friends are dead farting corpse. <laughs> Swiss Army man. <laughs> Swiss, Swiss Army man. That's it. That's they, the one. They just won the Oscars. All they the just Oscars. won all the Oscars. Yeah, literally all. We're going to talk about that. Yeah, but the Oscars. Hugh Grant did a very awkward interview and then compared himself to a scrotum on stage, which was very funny. Perfect. And I think my respect for him has gone up sev- sevenfold. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, and- yes, War is Bad, yeah, one one for special effects or something, and that was it. So that tells you that the BAFTAs were wrong and the Oscars were right, obviously. <laughs> even though I don't think I've seen any of the Oscar-nominated films. Um, I, I don't even know who else was nominated for Oscars this year. Oh, I don't know, I can't keep up. I saw that um, our man Brendan Fraser won an Oscar for a movie that's oh, apparently no. awful. That's right, that film is supposed to be terrible. Yeah, but he wants to be and... a, a Darren Aronofsky classic, in other words. <laughs> exactly. I mean, he should have won for The Mummy. Let's be honest, the yeah. greatest movie of all time. I mean, not, have not we for talked, Crash. Have we talked about Have we talked about The Mummy yet on this podcast? No, we that's got not. loads of romance in it. That and the sequel. We should do some mum, when, when we do another when we do another swashbuckling month. We should do do The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Yeah, oh, that, I feel like that's the kind of film that could bridge the gap between Swash Timber and Halloween, almost. Because mummies are a bit scary, aren't they? Like, you dress up as a mummy for Halloween. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. They're all kind of spooky. So, so the okay, best last picture... week of September, The Mummy, <laughs> and The Mummy Returns. So we have actually watched one of the nominees for Best Picture, by the way, because Elvis oh, was nominated. We? Oh, of course it was. Yeah, of course. But didn't oh that's right Austin Butler lost to Brendan Fraser in a fat suit yes. <laughs> that must be embarrassing for him uh, fat suit supremacy as we all know yeah yeah um yeah also nominated were War is Bad yeah um Avatar two was nominated um, Avatar two Avatar two <laughs> <Ooh>, bravo <laughs> um <laughs> the Banshees of Inisherin which I've heard is very good and I like oh, of course. The, I like the director of that. Um, we should celebrate that good. it being St. Patrick's Day. We should, yes. Um, the Fablemans, which I think is the latest Spielberg. I think it's about a family of people doing Boring. stuff. Yeah, who cares, right? Whatever. Um, let's let's read the 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 thing. I'm sure it's very good. It's not Jurassic Park, is it? Growing up in a post World War Two era Arizona. Boring, boring already. <laughs> Arizona. <laughs> I never want to hear a thing about Post Arizona, World unless War it's II, Raising Arizona with Nicolas Cage, which I've never seen. I just know young, young Sammy Fableman aspires to become a filmmaker as he reaches adolescence, but soon discovers a shattering family secret and explores how the power of films can help him see the truth. The family secret is that he's, in fact, a wizard, and he has is to it? go to wizard school. Um, it stars our, our favourite moon-faced man, Paul Dano, though. Okay, I'm listening. So maybe we should watch it, but I mean that does. Paul Dano in a wizard school. Okay, I'm up for that. <laughs> we've got we've got Tar, the movie about Lydia Tar, the movie about cancel culture. Yeah, ham-fisted <laughs> woke moralists. Woke mor- Yeah, ham-fisted Jordan Peterson-esque film that I will never watch. 
um, Top Gun Maverick, which I'm glad to see included because oh, yeah. it is a movie about shooty bang bang. Um, I've heard good things about that. I've heard it's a lot of fun. Um, Triangle of Sadness, which is a terrible... Which is my favourite Tool album. <laughs> I've become a triangle of sadness. That's in a weird time signature, by the way. <laughs> of course um, it is. A fashion model celebrity couple join an eventful cruise for the super rich. So it's like um, Fire Festival. Apparently it's good. I have no idea. Will I watch it? Probably not. Um, and no. then finally we had Women Talking. Um, the sequel to Little Women. Oh yes, of course. Yeah. Which you can't spell without Lit Men. So next <laughs> it's going to be Men Talking. <laughs> A movie uh, I think, of this podcast. Basically. I think we've had a lot too much of that in the Oscars. To be perfectly honest, of men talking, I'm, I'm doing that in a mocking voice, but genuinely, there should be more women represented in the Oscars. Let's be honest. Yep. The only man they should allow up is Hugh Grant, and it should be it should be just a bunch of women, and then Hugh Grant up to compare himself to a scrotum. Which again, again, women talking is meant to be very good. I think it's based on a book um, about uh, an no, I've isolated heard good about that. religious community with. With with bad things happening, so I've heard I've heard good things. I'd be interested to actually watch it at some point, but um, but yeah, whether I will or not, because that's the that's the problem, isn't it? That after the Oscars are done, ten million other things come up, and they might not be about a religious cult or or some sad people in Ireland or a family where one of them wants to make a film, and instead they're going to be about pirates. For instance. Oh no, I'm a sad man from Ireland. Take me to church. <laughs> That's how that film goes. Oh no, I'm a sad man from Ireland. Take me to church. Take me to church. Take me to church. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you, but I, I have a surefire way of irritating my partner. Which is whenever that song gets into my head or plays on something, um, I refuse to believe that the lyrics are anything other than um, "Take me to church." I've been barking like a dog on a Saturday night, <laughs> and, and when it comes up, I'll sing that, and she'll go, "That's not the lyrics," and I'll go, "Yeah, no, that's that's genuinely the lyrics," and refuse to straight face refuse to say anything else other than that. So, if you want to continue annoying people bringing it beyond my relationship and into the outer world, I highly recommend doing that and saying, oh yeah, the real lyrics are, I've been barking like a dog on a Saturday night. <laughs> That's an Elton John song, isn't it? <laughs> Saturday, Saturday night's, night's alright right for barking. barking. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Um, Should we talk about Cutthroat Island? Yeah, let's I had, about... I had a link I was going to do from um, like the talking about the snakes and that, driving them off to the island. I was going to say, you can't be on my island, snakes, but you can go off to Cutthroat Island. Oh, that's so very I, good. I'm when sorry, I, I purged it. Island of the snakes, I, I sent them all to Cutthroat Island. I'm sorry I ruined it by talking about what snakes live in Britain. No, that's all right. People might have learned something about snakes. Maybe. Because you won't have learned anything if you watched Cutthroat Island. (laughs) You will have learned um, (laughs) that pirates are cool and bad, yeah? Pirates are both cool and bad. There are good pirates and there are bad pirates. Yeah, yeah. So what did you think of Cutthroat Island? Well, I watched it last week, so I can't really remember it. (laughs) Which is always a good sign when a movie does not last beyond a week in your memory. Yeah, now, this is an odd one again, isn't it? So we, we've talked a bit about the context on previous episodes, but it was the film that crashed Carol Co. Pictures and um, sent them into administration. <laughs> so it was such a, yes. it was one of these like notorious box office bombs. Wikipedia says budget 92 to 98 million, box office 10 million. Yeah. What's Ouch. interesting is I do have a little bit of trivia for you, which is that... We're skipping straight to the trivia. Well, no, th- this is kind of attached to... Why? Why Carolco Pictures got utterly annihilated? <clears throat> they had a choice, right? They had Paul Verhoeven signed on oh. with Arnold Schwarzenegger to make a movie called Crusades, and it was going to be about the Crusades, and it was going to be about how the Christians were actually horrible, bloodthirsty fanatics. So imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger going into the Crusades. <laughs> Like that is a surefire. That. that is a surefire hit. That's going to make so much money. 
Um, but they decided it was too big a risk because the, the, they were looking at a budget of about 80 to 90 million, I believe, to make it. And they said, look, no, you know what? We've got Cutthroat Island here. Budget's only going to be about 50 million. We're sure to make that back. We're going to go with that instead. And then lo and behold, <laughs> Cutthroat Island, massively delayed, really troubled production, massively overpriced, ended up costing, like you said, 90 million and ended up tanking the company. So we could have had... Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Crusades in a critique of the Crusades and a critique of, of Christian nationalism and white supremacy. See, now I feel bad for Gina Davis because I love her and I love her in this, yes. even though her performance probably couldn't be described as good. She's giving it her all. <laughs> and I think the film really hangs off of her performance, right? Yeah. But yeah. to know that we could have had Arnie in the Crusades instead, I don't know. Yeah, I know... I, I've got a bit. I've got a soft spot in my heart for Cutthroat Island, but even then, I would say I would give a thousand Cutthroat Islands to see that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie be yeah. a reality. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, Cutthroat Island. Like, it's objectively not a good movie, but I do kind of like it in a yeah. way. Yeah, like it was an enjoyable watch, and there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to like about it, and it is fun and silly and weird and all of the things that we like. Yeah, absolutely, and and one thing that i find interesting about it is this movie killed pirate movies for a decade um until pirates of the caribbean came along but what's interesting is that this movie isn't too different from pirates of the caribbean no. i don't know if you've if, i don't know if you thought the same thing it's been a while since i've watched cutthroat island but re-watching it here i was thinking to myself look you've got you've got a, a female character who knows how to sword fight You've got a cheeky pirate boy who's always scheming and 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 trying to get away with stuff. You've got bad blood between the 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 lead and the main antagonist. You've got the politics of the the corrupt um, British Empire involved as well. Everyone chasing to find a specific treasure in a certain place after they pull together a ragtag bunch to go and get it. It has a real similar template in storytelling to what would eventually come out with Pirates of the Caribbean, albeit without ghost pirates, which I think would have been great in Cutthroat Island yeah, as well. I was going to say, Jeffrey Rush is the only good thing about Pirates of the Caribbean, so if they'd have added him to this, then maybe we could have been spared Jonathan Depp and his Captain Jack Sparrow, <laughs> Where's the Rum, Bring Me That Horizon performance. Fucking bullshit. The worst thing... Well, no, there's many awful no, They would have things. done it eventually, because it's one of those weird Disney films that's based on a ride. Yeah. It's so strange. Yeah. Yeah, it, w- it would have happened eventually. Um, I quite like the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Unfortunately, Johnny Depp is there and is incredibly insufferable. Um, I haven't seen oh, it in I'm, a very long time, but I'm going to say right now, it owes a debt to Cutthroat Island. I'm going to say that too. You should have... No Pirates of the Caribbean without Cutthroat Island. Pirates of the Caribbean was built on the ashes of Cutthroat Island. This is the original, the, Pirates the, Caribbean. <laughs> the original Pirates of the Caribbean. If you want to be cool and hip... Oh, I liked Pirates of the Caribbean before it was Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, this is, this is Pirates of the Caribbean for people who say that they don't own a television. Yeah, that's, <laughs> the that's, people who read books. The people, the people who read books. No, oh, tangent. Sorry, I've got to go off on a tangent because something really annoyed me today. Um, so The Last of Us is a TV show based on a uh, a film. Uh, based on a uh, uh, a, video a, a video game, one of those video game thingies, um, and lots we of don't people, play those because those are for nerds. Lots of people who <laughs> lo- I definitely haven't spent like twelve hours playing Dead Souls this week. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Um, I've been playing a couple of really fun games actually, but I can't talk about them because they're under embargo. But they've been fun. All right. Um, well, next time, you yeah, next time I can talk about them. Um, but. One of the things that The Last of Us has done is it's reached an audience outside of video games because there's a TV show. And certain people have been like, oh, oh, I didn't realise video games were good. And so let me read you out this thing that came up on TikTok. Jeez, oh, this is so... Te- I haven't heard this, but I can already tell this is going to be the most tedious shit I've ever heard in my life. 
Dear gamers, I have a bone to pick with you. Why didn't you tell us that games have incredible plots and character development? This whole time I've been thinking you were playing Mario Kart. Now, as I watch The Last of Us show, I'm realising that you've been gatekeeping some of the best stories in modern history. What should we play? We'll do whatever you tell us. Sincerely, a book reader. Um, motherfucker... You can log on to your computer and buy a video game on your computer. They're not being gatekept by anything apart from your snobbery because you like to think that reading books makes you smarter than people that play video games. Uh, specifically play Mario Kart, which is one of the most fun games <laughs> you could ever play. Like Mario Kart is one of the games that has the most universal appeal of yeah, any game you yeah. can name. My wife likes to play Mario Kart with me. It's like the Everyone only game she'll enjoys- play with me. Everyone enjoys Mario Kart. It's one of those universals. Um, it's great for kids. It's great for adults. It's cutesy. There's nothing weird or like <clears throat> bloodthirsty about it. You know, it's not like a game that has weird jingoism or like makes you shooty fighty. You know, I can't do words today. <laughs> I just want to say Mario Kart is good. <laughs> Mario Kart is good. The Last of Us is also a perfectly serviceable video game, and the storyline is fine. And this person going, oh, the the great artistry of The Last of Us. Motherfucker, have you not read The Road? The Road did The Last of Us. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say, it looks a lot the like The Girl with All the me. Gifts did literally The Last oh, of Us, down so to Cordyceps being the, the fungal infection that turns people into zombies. It's been done before, but what gets me here is just this whole bloody, oh, you've been gatekeeping video games from us. Like, no, we fucking haven't. You're just too snobby to decide that you want to pick up a video game and play it. And again, by by saying that, it's like it's reinforcing that notion, isn't it? Yeah. By saying yeah. that, oh, I had no idea that video games had 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 like good plots and stuff. That's just reinforcing the fact that you you think you're superior for not liking them. It's yeah. Exactly. It's I'm so sorry stupid. that not everything is a novel about a uh, a university professor who sleeps with one of his students and then gets in trouble with his wife, like every fucking lit fiction book. I'm sorry that maybe there's some versatility in video games where one moment you can be a plumber driving a go-kart against a giant turtle and the next time you're flamethrowering people in the face while pretending that you're sad about it, like in The Last of Us. Which is my big problem with The Last of Us TV show, by the way, is there's no scenes in it where the main character, Joel, gets out a flamethrower and just starts burning people for no good reason, which is what I did for like 80% of the time in that game when I had access to a flamethrower. And then, and then you go into the cutscene where he's like, "I'm so sad about that. I didn't have to do that." Yeah, you did because I made you. I made you burn people with a flamethrower, Joel. Sorry. <laughs> There's a great bit in the uh, second Last of Us. Sorry, this is going to be a big old tangent because I'm off on one now, and you you cannot stop me. Um, the 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 point of the Last of Us Part Two, which is a decent game, is revenge is bad the whole thing is an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind that's the whole point of revenge is bad yeah that's that's the theme the overarching theme of the whole of the whole um of of the whole work and um they they kind of try to imprint on you that violence is bad every so often in the game so like the 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 people that you kill will have names that you'll then hear from the other people who are trying to kill you so like you'll stab someone and then in the distance, you'll hear someone going, Barry, Barry, where are you? And then when they find the body, they'll go, oh, my God, they've killed Barry. So much so that when they send their attack dogs after you to try and kill you, if you kill the dogs, they'll be like, oh, my God, they killed Fido. And it's supposed to make you feel bad, but it doesn't because you're just like, yeah, motherfucker, I killed Fido. What of it? Now I'm going <laughs> to stab you or flamethrower you. And then it will go into a cutscene where you're like, oh, I'm so sad, but I must have my revenge. Like, no, you're not sad. This is a shooty shooty bang bang game. You can dress it up how how sad you want it to be. It's still going to be about shooting. So the Last of Us games are good. The stories are good, but they're not the greatest storytelling in video games. The true greatest storytelling in video games is Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest. <laughs> yeah, obviously. The first game ever to have a day and night mechanic. Way before the world was ready for it. <laughs> way before the world had a day and night mechanic. Yeah, the, the world picked that up from <laughs> Castlevania Two: Simon's Quest. What do you think the, the thematic only 2D significance? I haven't finished. What do you think the thematic significance is of the tornado that you summon that you have no idea how to summon unless you have a walkthrough? 
that's just life, isn't it? <laughs> that's what my we life should... is like. I'd like to get this this book person down and talk through moment by moment what happens in Castlevania 2 and do it in a really pretentious way and then go, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, force, force them to play it. I had no idea that Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, I can't believe the story of Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, what a horrible night for a curse, has been gatekept. One of these greatest stories in 1980s video game history has been gatekept by these pesky gamers. I th- I thought, you know, video games... I, I thought Vampires was just Twilight, you know? I thought it was all just literature for children. You're telling me there's, like, video games about vampires where I can hunt them and kill them? Why did nobody tell <laughs> me this? nobody tell me this? That, that there's... I didn't realise that there had been any anything about vampires apart from Dracula. There's yeah. other books about vampires... There's other stories about vampires and other mediums. I might blow this person mind and let them know that actually books are just a tool. And actually, it's not just fiction you get in books. You also get things like comics. They've got pictures. No. Sometimes those pictures have colour in them. I guarantee you that this person at some point has done a very, very similar post about comics or graphic novels after having read one that's I, like crossed over to the mainstream. What, what's a, what's a really good what's a really good adaptation of a comic book that's been on TV or or, or a film? I'm trying to th- I'm trying to think of one, but it would be the equivalent of this. Like I I oh my gosh, I watched Zack Snyder's Watchmen and. <laughs> Obviously, the worst possible example. The Snyder Cut. I, I, I watched. Um, I watched from hell the terrible adaptation of the Alan Moore comic about the Jack the Ripper, where Johnny Depp does a terrible accent. And this whole time, I've been thinking that comic books have just been they they've just been moomins. That's all they are. They're just moomins. But now, as oh, I it was just the Beano. <laughs> now, as I watch The Last of Us, I'm realizing that you've been gatekeeping some of the best stories about men who wear underpants over their trousers in modern history. <laughs> he thought comics was just the Beano, and then he watched V for Vendetta and realized <laughs> that ideas are bulletproof. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, if you read books, you're a bad person. I'm just saying that now. You're a nerd. You should be playing video games instead. <laughs> Put that book down and go and play Mario Kart now. Books are I for nerds. It. Video games are for dweebs. Would you rather be a dweeb or a nerd? I think we all know the answer. Oh, that's, a, that. that's a tough choice. Dweeb sounds like you're rad to the max, doesn't it? It's part of that overall kind of eighties, late eighties, early nineties culture. Being called a nerd gets you bullied at any time in human history. Being called a dweeb gets you bullied by someone wearing a Letterman jacket in 1986. Even in, like, the Beowulf times, they had nerds. (laughs) Grendel was a massive nerd. That's why they killed him. Yeah, yeah, that was was how the whole thing started. He was like, would would you like to see my my collection of Superman comics? And Beowulf was just like, motherfucker, I'll wait for the movie in a thousand years, and then killed him. Yeah. <clears throat> you haven't heard of Robert Zemeckis, but and you never will. <laughs> but I have. Uh, anyway, uh, Cut- Cutthroat Island <laughs> is the a movie. Ever. Is a movie about nerds. Oh, I'm going to need to edit this one. <laughs> um, Cutthroat Island is a pirate film from 1995 that nearly crashed a studio. Gina Davis stars as the heroine, as the sort of badass pirate lady. Yes. and I love that, and she is brilliant. Yeah, nowadays, if they... Those days, if they tried to make Cutthroat Island... Oh, you couldn't make this film now. Make, if you tried to make this movie these days, you'd be called Woke, wouldn't you? Because it's a female yep. lead in a pirate movie. Yeah, you don't see that anymore, do you? Yeah, it's... It, nowadays, you, if you made it, people would be like, oh, it's performative virtue signalling. That, that fake vicar who goes on GB News would be all like, oh, this isn't what it says in the Bible about the, the gender roles of pirates. This isn't what it says in the Bible about pirates in Jamaica in the 17th century. <laughs> exactly. Um, what this movie is, though, it's a movie about Gina Davis being a badass, which I'm fully a fan of. She... 
I wouldn't say it's a good performance, but she does what she can with the material she's given, which is an unbelievably wooden script. Um, yeah, I, <clears throat> she really, really tries, and especially the, like the ridiculous action scenes. She's she's really giving it her all. There's this really funny scene where she's driving a cart as they're being shot at by a boat. <laughs> off the shore and then she jumps up (laughs) off the cart and runs through a like a like perfume shop or a snuff shop or something like that and jumps out of the window on the other side and back onto the cart and it's just hilarious because it it feels weirdly sluggish as well you can imagine that in pirates of the caribbean being like a, a five second scene but it's almost like 30 seconds of the runtime as her stumbling through the shop and out of a window on the other side. And it's just, oh, yeah. yeah. And that kind of thing happens in this film over and over. Yeah. Like an alternative yeah. title for this film could be how many times can Gina Davis fall from a great height and survive <laughs> against the odds? It's very, very good like that. There's all sorts of stuff like that going on here. Um, opposite Gina Davis, we have a very charismatic lead in a capuchin monkey called King Charles. Um, the true true love story of this movie is between gina davis and her loyal monkey companion king charles he's Um, just there every so often it gets about you think oh it's been 20 to 25 minutes i haven't seen the monkey let's have a scene in the cabin where she cuddles the monkey yeah and then the monkey makes a funny face and goes and hides somewhere it's perfect um yeah but in reality did this come out before dunstan checks in did it come out before or after? 1996. Right. It, this predates Dunstan Checks Did it in. come out before or after Monkey Trouble? Oh, I don't know. I, I feel like Monkey Trouble is earlier. Yeah, Monkey Trouble was 1994. I wonder if it was 94. the same monkey. So the three years in a row of like top-notch monkey films. Yeah, yeah. And when did Outbreak come out? What's Outbreak? Outbreak is... As 1995, which is also a movie about monkeys. Oh, same year. Um, it's it's about um, it's about a basically like a, a highly contagious, dangerous virus outbreak, which is why probably not the best thing to have watched since 2020. To be perfectly honest. Oh, that's got Dustin Hoffman doing a very serious. Face <laughs> it's a on the it's a very good it's a very good movie. I think the end is like full shit piece territory. I seem to remember Brilliant. that they blow up a nuclear bomb somewhere for some reason it's like what has that got to do with the virus um, but apart from that it's actually very very interesting film and quite good but does it have matthew modine doing his not. best to not be carrie elwes in the princess bride and somehow failing <laughs> it is just hi i'm carrie elwes's brother yeah. I, i'm i'm <laughs> even on the poster it looks just like him. i i'm i'm the other dread pirates robert Dread Pirate Roberts. I'm the one who went and became a substitute maths teacher for five years instead of becoming a pirate. That's the energy that we get from, yeah. from his character in this movie. And now he's trying to get back in the pirate game. He is. He is. One thing I will say is that his his performance here, cheeky Matthew Medine, he's like the he's the cheeky roguish one who's like, aha, I'm going to lie and cheat my way to victory. And you you meet him pretending to be a doctor at a posh event stealing jewels off people um doing it in the same way that cricket steals um stuff off people in the reunion episode of always sunny in philadelphia (laughs) it's very good um he is (laughs) but he is an actual doctor no but then it gets revealed that he isn't and he made it up but doesn't he like fix her wounds and then immediately like sort of not quite make love to her immediately after he's performed surgery on her. Yeah, and in that in that scene when they're whispering suspicious sweet nothings to one another, he he admits that he's not actually a doctor and he was just winging it basically in, yeah. in the dialogue. Um, but don't worry, your wound will be fine. It'll be, Let's have it'll sex. It'll be fine. Now. Let's have sex. But then the whole thing of that scene and it's quite fun is that whole they're both trying to deceive the other person into getting the upper hand and i quite la- liked yeah. that element of their relationship throughout the film is that they're constantly trying to deceive one another until they eventually fall in love and it's like that's quite a nice way to do it rather than in parts of the caribbean for instance where you've got this true love right at the beginning um here it's quite nice that they wove that kind of deception to get the treasure into their story arc and development of their characters i quite liked that yeah I if that anything 
I thought that was the true story of the whole piece. Yeah. That was the yeah. thing that I really wanted to happen and that I thought was the most interesting part. It was just that, yeah, they'd have a bit of that and you think, oh, where is this going? And then suddenly it's, oh, King Charles the Monkey is here. And oh, suddenly um, there's another uncle of hers who's got some piece of a map <laughs> who's about to get killed. And here's Frank Langella coming to chew the scenery again. <laughs> now, I do want to talk about Frank Langella here. Um, I, I thought his performance was excellent. I loved him. I, in this. I loved him. Before we move on to him to talk a bit, a, a bit more in detail, I just want to say Matthew Medine as the cheeky roguish pirate in this is so much better than Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, I'm the name. 100%. I'm going to say the name of an overrated metal band now. Yar. Um, <laughs> I don't like Bring Me the Horizon. They've got like one good song. Yeah, I'm not a fan whatsoever. Come at me in the comments. Bring me the Horizon fans. I, I'll, I'll listen to some good metal instead. Thank you very much. They're not listening to this show. They're all 15 years old. <laughs> they're all reading books. They're all reading That's books. That's what they're, they're up to. GCSEs. They're, they're, not, they're not watching movies from 1995. Um, but, um, but yeah, I much prefer his character here than, than, than Captain Jack Sparrow, who is insufferable. Um, yeah, because he's a rogue, but he's not supposed to be powerful in any way, really. But he's still trying to sort of cheat his way to the treasure, and then he does. Yeah, he feels like a thief in a game of Dungeons and Dragons. That's the kind of character mm. archetype he has, and it works so well here because you've got the the intelligence, but also the brawn of Gina Davis's character, um, and then you've got the sneakiness of him, and they work really well bouncing off one another with that in mind. Um, and of yeah, they're going up against Dog, <laughs> Dog, Dog, Dog Brown, the Bounty Dog Brown, played by Frank Langella. Um, <laughs> is his name actually Dog Brown? His name is Dog, Dog Brown. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it, it's listed as Dog, D A W G, <laughs> Dog. <laughs> but yeah, Dog Brown. That's not the like the one from Back to the Future in a remake with canines, <laughs> which they should make. Um, yeah. But um, but it's uh, it's a wonderful performance from him as the big bad evil uh, evil pirate. Um, so much fun. Um, if he had a mustache instead of a closely cropped beard, he would be twirling it. Yeah, I think I think that's the one problem with his character is he's got like short cropped hair and a little short beard. Actually, he needs to be in full pirate outfit, doesn't he? Yeah, for a pirate film, it's not that piratey, is it? No, no. And I think that's maybe one of the problems is that no one's particularly piratey in the way that they dress. Matthew Medine's character walks around in a, a brown vest the entire time and a pair of brown trousers. And it's like, that's not a particularly exciting outfit for a movie like this. It's um, like they didn't have many costume changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then um, and then Frank Langella's dog also is kind of just there in a vest and and some trousers it's like no why is he why is he not like got got a really ridiculous outfit on that makes it obvious that he's a big bad villainy bastard a part and, of and you wants to be like well in jamaica in 1668 they didn't have that many clothes so actually maybe this is sort of vaguely historically accurate and then you read about the production and you read stuff like in another interview matthew modine said that other factors contributing to the production costs running out of control were harlan always having three cameras rolling at the same time and harlan and davis had several cases of v8 vegetable juice shipped out to the set in malta for themselves Towards the end of the shooting, an entire room was found to be full of unopened juice, so it had to be served to everybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You think, oh, are they going for some kind of weird realism in this ridiculous pirate movie? And then you realise, no, they probably just ran out of money to do things like costume and instead spent it on really extravagant stuff that, that um, Tommy Wiseau would have, would have balked at. Um, it, it's, it is interesting, though, because... That's the kind of thing that you would expect from a movie like this, because this is a bombastic adventure film. You expect those kind of big, uh, those big outfits and things like that. But it is quite subdued, apart from the Empire, the British Legion people who are all wearing the ridiculous coats and and oh yeah and and foppish makeup and things like that. But it's like, no, you want your pirates to look like pirates, and you want them to still look like that. Um. And so, yeah, I spent it, it all on the costume of um, Patrick Malahide, <laughs> who <laughs> we saw recently in something on this show, didn't we? Yes. What was it? Eurotrip. That's the one. 
He was in Eurotrip Euro and in Bridget Jones's Baby, so he's cropped up in this oh, show before. But he, his performance was brilliant as well. He's extremely good in this. Um, extremely good. As the kind of secondary villain. Um, yeah, really who turns good, good in the end. Yes. Oh, good. I say good. He, start, he starts killing the bad pirates in the end. Yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of as far as you get, isn't it? With that kind of thing. Um and and yeah, so so it's it, it's kind of disjointed, isn't it? And I think a lot of that does come down to the the production issues that that it had. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, that's the thing. I think there are no performances in this film that are bad, are there? Like, I can't think of anywhere I was like, oh, that's that's not good. But the script is just terrible, and it's <clears throat> you read about it and you think you you it had lots of like recastings and reshootings and that kind of thing, and you think, yeah, you can kind of tell, can't you? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's you it, it has the vibe of a really troubled production from the word go. Um like it's got a really clunky opening start scene where it kind of throws you in in media res and and then it's like it's like a minute to... of pirate stuff and then she's riding a horse across a strait for like 5 minutes in slow motion. Yeah, it's it's it it requires you to um it requires you to really get to grips with um, with the context of what's going on really quickly, whilst also throwing lots of stuff at you that's kind of just filler, like right from the word go. And so you kind of feel a little bit, um, you, you, you get quite disorientated by this movie really quickly, I suppose. And it's quite long. It's like over yeah. two hours long. Over it? two hours long, which these days is kind of normal, but... For 1995, that's that's pretty lengthy. Yeah, and a, like a swashbuckling adventure film, you think, okay, that that's justified, but only if it actually really hangs together and is telling you a great story. Whereas the story of this is kind of a mess, isn't it? Essentially, they've got to find all these like map pieces that each of her uncles had to to find the treasure, right? But it, all of it gets interrupted by yeah, suddenly there's a guy wrangling an eel in front of you and you're all, or something like that and it's just none of it as soon as you think you've got something over the plot it just goes in a completely different direction or now there's going to be a ridiculous really long action sequence that's really weirdly lit with this like yellow light and there's loads of townspeople mm. and they're just kind of falling through buildings and kicking a man into the sea and then there's a bunch of Wilhelm screams and you're just like okay fine I'll let this wash <laughs> over me yeah, that's the thing isn't it yeah it, there's there's lots of weird pacing issues with this movie as well it's all over the place um and i think every single action sequence in this film could have done with being at least 25 percent shorter T- tighten up all of the editing you could have all of that action in there tighten it up keep it shorter like because the the brawl at the the big tavern with the with the eel guys that's a fun scene it's something you remember is is the the eel guy and yeah. wriggling about in the eels and then suddenly everything explodes um was up inside yeah <laughs> but it but it all feels really weird because there's not that sharpness of editing there to really make it feel intense so it all kind of just lumbers on until it ends it doesn't really and feel like the- it was edited at all <laughs> It feels no. like this is everything they had. And Rennie yeah. Harlan was like, okay, well, all he did was decide what was coming from each of his three cameras, I guess. Yeah, it's... Um, one thing to point out is that um, Rennie Harlan, who directed this, um bit unfair how his career didn't peter out as much as Gina Davis's, to be perfectly honest. And we can talk a little bit about how sexism in the movie industry works and he was married Um, to her at the time i think he persuaded them to cast her in this to give her a kind of like action heroine role that she hadn't had before yes yeah absolutely and uh, she's been gina davis has been quite sort of um philosophical about it and said well you know over the course of my career the roles did suddenly drop off when i reached an age where people clearly decided i could no longer be a be a star um but in that time when i was there i got to play all sorts of things i even got to be a pirate captain which who else can say that in hollywood which is a a a nice way of thinking about it but you think about how his career kind of continued 
quite well when hers dropped off after this and after the long kiss goodnight which he also directed um but that was kind of like the death knell of of gina davis as a, as a bankable star which is quite unfair because she's very good in the long kiss goodnight she does an awful lot of weight in this not very good movie yeah <laughs> um but then if, if if you look at her career you know after you know she went from a league of their own Thelma and louise um then to this and then after that it suddenly becomes being the mum in the Stuart little movies <laughs> yeah and then being in the tv series commander in chief which i seem to remember people liking but um but i never, never saw it. it um turning up in the exorcist tv show in 2016 oh no um and and it's just like well it's just it's not fair for someone who's as talented as she is that she didn't have a continued distinguished career when the director who's responsible for this movie not being very good went on to direct Deep Blue Sea in 1999, got to direct Driven, which is the thing that really started to be the downturn of his career, which I don't know if you've ever seen. It's the... No, um, that's Sylvester cars. Stallone. Sylvester Stallone in Fast Cars. Yes. Um, it's It's extremely bad. Um, it's like the Fast and the Furious before they were f- furious. The Fast <laughs> and not furious. The, the, the Fast and Placid. Yeah, the Fast um, and yeah, just just chilling. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he's still directing movies to this day. Still had the chance to, even after Driven, had the chance to go off and do um, the John Cena movie, Twelve Rounds, for instance. And it's like, why? When 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 his his talent and direction had dried up, I mean, if he ever really had much, to be perfectly honest, um, you leave Die Hard Two alone. <laughs> I mean, I am an apologist for Die Hard Two. I think it's a very fun film, um, but you just think like, I mean, Cliffhanger was bad. Deep Blue. He's done two good movies in his. Well, The Long Kiss Goodnight is also good, but that's mainly because it actually had someone writing it. I've I'm never seen it. of his movies. It's, it's a Shane Black film, so it's like his other movies, very snappy dialogue, sort of mystery, comedy, crimey thing. Um, you, you'd you like some of them. The Nice Guys is very good, for instance. Oh, you mentioned um, that which before. Which is the Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling um, sort of mystery thing set in the 70s. Um, he's he's done some he's done some good stuff, and he writes very unique scripts, and I'm sure that helped. Um, but he he's only done three good movies in his tar- entire career, and you think like, how did he have such a continued established career whilst Gina Davis dropped off so rapidly? It just seems unfair. Um, but but he fired the chief camera operator during the filming of this, and then more than two dozen crew members quit off the back of that. Right, that bodes well. <laughs> He clearly was not particularly good to work for, um, and it really shows in how messy this film is. Is like I'm sure that when it reached the editing stage, when it reached post production, they just stitched together what they could to try and to try and make it. And yeah, for sure. It's just ugh. It's so sluggish. I mean, there's some really. And they good had enough to make a two-hour film, but I wonder if there were like some scenes they just didn't shoot or something that might have made it hang together. Well, not to make it a longer film, but actually to change some stuff and you know maybe have less of the monkey, as you say, less of the action scenes extended over with lots of people running around and screaming and jumping, and actually more of them like talking to each other and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, there's there's little by way of transitions that help the film flow. And that's one of the big problems is it spends so much time on random stuff and then it just kind of jumps to the next load of random stuff. Yeah. Also, they find the treasure and then somehow there's like 40 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, because cause they find the treasure, but then they get captured. And then... Um, they need to. There needs to be a big climactic battle on a boat or multiple boats, obviously. But it is very, very fun when um, all the bad guys get thrown in the sea. Yes, that's really enjoyable. I like that. Yeah, I, I like the glee with which they're sending these people to their deaths. And they get betrayed by the um, the bookman. See, this is how you know books are for nerds. The books, guy who's like yeah. the writer, the chronicler, who bears a vague resemblance to the writer Patrick Rothfuss, gets <laughs> thrown in the sea. No, he throws them in the sea. Yes. 
Yeah. Does he get thrown in the sea at the end? I think he deserves to. But he I, betrays them. Yeah, I don't know what happens to his character in the end. Maybe that got missed somewhere. Yeah. I can't even remember because it's so chaotic. There's so much going... There's so much... There's one of those films where there's so much going on all the time, but there's also nothing going on. Yeah, yeah. Not in a Seinfeld way. <laughs> no. It's just, it's just chaos, isn't it? It's two hours of chaos. Yeah. And his name's Dog, so of course at one point she has to say to him, bad dog. Yeah, that's the last, that's like the last one-liner. Exceptionally stupid one-liner. The script, let's talk about the script, because it's really bad, it's really stupid, and it like, it can't decide if it's trying to be funny or not. You know, it throws in loads of like one-liners like that, and innuendos, and stuff like, I took your balls, I'm aiming where your brains are while she's like, kicking a man in the dick or something. She also at one point says, get out of my eyes. (laughs) Who says that? That's not a phrase. I, I wrote like, that down as well. Get out of oh. my eyes. It's so weird. And it's just like, there's all this swashbuckling, which is fine. And it's like, I'm not saying that swashbuckling films should be devoid of humour, but it's the humour here is very, very clumsy and sort of innuendo-based and doesn't really work. Yeah, I, I've also written down in capital letters, come to seek my treasure, have you? And I'm not sure who said that, but I clearly <laughs> really enjoyed that line of dialogue whenever that came up. Oh, I thought that was going to be the one that I wrote down in capital letters, which is something else, which is when a guy said, bitch stole my map. <laughs> like 50 Cent in that game where he said, bitch stole <laughs> bitch my skull. Bitch stole my skull, yeah. Um, yeah, um, it's, there's all sorts of really silly, uh, really silly stuff. My, one of my favourites is relatively early on where Dog Brown is getting away and one of his pirates goes, oh, we can't leave yet. We haven't got enough food on board. And Dog Brown just shoots him and says, oh, we need less mouths then. It's like, that's how you get morale in your crew. <laughs> you keep them hungry and dead. <laughs> um, well, that's what it was like in the pirate times. It's trying to be historically accurate. <laughs> um, I've also written down, stop diddling and kill the man. I'm not sure who says that. <laughs> But, <laughs> um, or but if yeah. that was just a, a comment on the script maybe it was stop, stop all of the nonsense and just get on with it um, I wrote down that um, Patrick Malahide was also in Captain Corelli's Mandolin our oh, favourite Nicolas Cage film the greatest Nicolas Cage movie um, yeah it's it is really strange this 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 film and it's script is really odd isn't it um, it, I think they had all sorts of different writers on it I imagine that they probably didn't necessarily all work on it at the same time and they had lots of script rewrites and script doctors coming in because it does feel yep. Frankenstein-esque in being stitched together doesn't it? You, you got two names under screenplay by four names under story by that's not a good sign <laughs> is it? <laughs> How many people do you need on the story for <clears throat> pirates go get treasure? <laughs> yeah <laughs> Pirates go get treasure, one of them's a woman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I wonder, though, if this had had the score of Pirates of the Caribbean, if it would have done if it would have done really well and would have smashed it. Well, apparently, people at the time really praised the score of this film. And that's the thing, I thought the score was good. But yeah. at the same time, if you want to see Gina Davis and Matthew Modine's ship going along to... Because as much as I dislike Pirates of the Caribbean... The music is extremely with that. good. Uh, yeah. That main theme is a banger. Yeah, I wonder if you could get your hands on a, on a copy of this movie where you took out the... You took out all of the, all of the score... And then did an edit to it to make it really streamlined and then put in the the Pirates of the Caribbean music or even kept the original music. I wonder if actually just doing that edit down, trimming it down to a 90-minute long action movie would make it that much more enjoyable. And I think it probably would. You wouldn't be able to get around things like the weird sort of um, lack of transitions between scenes and things like that. But I reckon you could probably you could probably make something quite serviceable out of this. We keep the eel man, obviously. Keep the eel man, yeah, absolutely. Um, he's the most integral part. You keep the guy who's um, only has one hand, and the other hand is a chain. I like him. Oh yeah. <laughs> you needed more of that kind of pirate stuff. The people who had like, here's my one gimmick as an evil pirate. Yeah, there wasn't enough of that goofiness. That's the yeah. thing. 
it tries to be funny and goofy, but actually has zero goof factor. Yeah, that's the real problem, is the lack of goof factor here. It needs to be far goofier than it is. Um, and then that, that silly dialogue would work much better too, if you had that goofiness. That's the thing, you have to commit to the goof. Yeah. It doesn't commit to the goof. No, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's uh, Yeah, that's the, that's the big problem, is it's not goofy enough. And that leaves the whole thing feeling stilted, doesn't it? Also, at the end, they say they're go- they're going to go to Madagascar, and it's like you would all die of scurvy before you reach Madagascar. <laughs> yeah. Go to the town and get some supplies, they, they please. Would, they would have to go somewhere else first, get a load of stuff before they go to Madagascar. It's a very far yeah. journey, very long journey. But that's the the Pirates of the Caribbean stole that moment as well when he says, "Bring me that horizon," or whatever. That's yes. what they're doing, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's it's the tra- it's the it's the suggestion of adventures to come. Um, and unfortunately, in Pirates of the Caribbean, we got those further adventures. <laughs> this is the true Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Nothing but respect for my Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. If it hasn't got weird dubbed lines, <clears throat> Wilhelm screams every ten minutes, and a random guy wrangling an eel, don't want to know. <laughs> don't want to know about it. Um, so, is there anything else you'd like to um, you'd like to say about Cutthroat Island? No, I don't think so. It's it's a curiosity. I think it is worth watching if you can get hold of it. Yeah, <laughs> it's on yeah. Amazon Prime for two quid or whatever. Like it's it is worth watching. It's weird. It's bad. You can see why it didn't do well. But there's something to like about it. There is a charm to it, isn't there? And you look at it and you think, I'm glad that this got made in the mid '90s. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm pleased it exists, and it is. It's got a certain je ne sais quoi. Roger Ebert liked it. Oh, well, there you go. He gave it a, a three out of four, because I think he does his ratings in four, doesn't he? I think so, yeah. And he said... Um, I disagree with Roger Ebert's opinion on a lot of things, but I think he did appreciate a shit piece. Yeah, he did, absolutely. He'd have he'd have been there for Jupiter Ascending. Absolutely. This is a shit piece, right? Yeah, this is definitely a shit piece. It's, it's towards a little towards the boring end of the shit piece scale, but it's got the shit piece factor that we're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so yeah. Anything else you'd like to say before we? Uh, no. We... Have you got any more trivia, or have you have you covered it all? No, already? I mean I think that's the main thing. The only other thing is that Oliver Reed's a dick. Um, he was going <laughs> to play Mordecai Fingers. I don't know who that character is in this. Is he? Was that, was that one the of guy the uncles? In, was, that, was that the uncle? Um, he got into a bar fight and mooned Gina Davis and got sacked. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um. And, Not uh, a nice guy. And then, yeah, Carol Co. Pictures um, filed for bankruptcy six weeks before the movie reached theatres. Oh, yeah, I read about this as well, that apparently there was basically no marketing done for it. So yes, that might actually yeah. have been a, a big factor. I mean, trouble production, all of that stuff aside, which is a big factor in a film doing poorly. Marketing, you got to think, if, if there'd have been a poster for this on every bus stop, it might have done all right. Yeah, that's the thing, is more people would have gone to see it if... Um, if there'd actually been that marketing around it as well, but it was it was failed by a failing studio. As much as as much as a lot of the problems were of its own making, I'm sure it wouldn't have been a, a box office bomb to the extent that it was. If it and it had. says here as well that um, MGM, who was the distributor, was in the process of being sold and thus could not devote itself into financing a marketing campaign for the film. So a lot of that has to land on MGM store as well as Carol yeah. Co. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it was just a bad it was bad timing for a bad movie. <laughs> I think is the is the is the problem here. Um one final thing is that Frank Langella considers Dog to be one of his three favorite roles. Um, alongside playing Richard Nixon in Frost Nixon and playing Skeletor in Masters of the Universe. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I love that. Um, yeah, which is which is great. He described the movie itself as the worst he'd ever appeared in, but it's his fa- one of his three favourite roles. Brilliant. Um, and he's been Dracula. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so what have we got next then? Don't don't leave me waiting. Well, we talk, talking about the Oscars. No, we didn't we didn't rate it. How are we going to rate? Um, oh crap! Cutthroat Island. Um, how many capuchin monkeys called King Charles hang out in your cabin? Uh, let's see, eleven out of a possible twenty, I'd say, because we don't know. It's, it's just over halfway there. I think the 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 weird charm of it 
is something that I think is is worth seeing and has its place in cinematic history. And but it is obviously bad. But yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna meet you on this one. Um, Eleven, I agree. It's it's a bad movie, but it does have that charm to it, which is impossible to ignore. Yeah, so that's good. No, but um, next we talked about the Oscars. Um, I think it's time for us to watch something current and the watch the one that won all the things. So we're gonna do everything everywhere all at once, and it's on Amazon Prime. So, oh, perfect, lovely. So there you go. I've been meaning to watch this for ages, so exciting. To, yeah, yeah, to I've, I've heard good things from a lot of people. Um, I think it looks really, really good. And obviously, I haven't seen much of their other work, but the two guys, Daniels, as they're called, um, Swiss Army Man is one of my all-time favourite films. So if they could recapture even half of the magic of that in this film that looks like bright and vibrant and incredible, then I think we're in for a ride. Yeah, well, the thing is that they've not really... The um, Swiss Army Man was their first movie, and this is their second movie. That's um, right. Which is which is amazing. So um, yeah, no, I'm re- I'm really excited to watch this. And if you haven't seen Swiss Army Man, yeah, please go, go, and, watch go that. and watch Swiss Army Man. Particularly, <laughs> and then you, listen to our episode about it. Particularly if you did, if you have watched everything everywhere all at once. Um, absolutely, I'm sure they're more right. or less the same. Absolutely recommend you go and watching a farting corpse in a really yeah. heartfelt buddy movie <laughs> i might rewatch it at some point i yeah i'm tempted whenever i think about it i'm like oh yeah i should i should rewatch that at some point it's it's brilliant yeah cool well, I'm, I'm very excited to watch this yeah it looks fantastic cool all right well thanks a lot for tuning in we hope you enjoyed all the tangents at the beginning and <laughs> where we eventually got to talking about cutthroat island um, which is an interesting film that you should see um as always there's a link in our show notes to where you can give us money it's just like a virtual tip jar you can find us on twitter at big boys don't pod you can email us big boys don't cry podcast at gmail.com and we'll be back next week to talk about everything everywhere all at once i think i said that right you did yes Alrighty, bye bye <laughs> bring me that island <laughs> But you can't, you won't, you don't stop